You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Jesus died once and was made alive to give us fullness of life. Discover more of this truth in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. We are finishing our series on Biaing Semana Santa. But before we do that, everybody say, Happy Resurrection Sunday! You know, we are really celebrating, uh, you know, the resurrection of Christ. And how many of you know that we don't have to wait for Easter to celebrate the resurrection Sunday? Because every Sunday that we come here is actually a celebration of the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. Come on now. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? You know, the, I believe many of us are feeling the heat already. The, the, the Holy Week is over this morning. Uh, the whole... Basically, the whole Catholic world basically celebrated what they call Salubong. Salubong is, uh, how many of you are familiar with this particular tradition? Uh, I grew up seeing this. I used to live in Tondo, and so I, I see many of the images uh, that is presented here. Salubong is basically in English called welcome. It's the welcoming of uh, you know, the, the, the resurrected body of Christ by, by his mother. And so that's how the Catholics would view, uh, you know, Resurrection or Easter Sunday. And this officially marks the end of Holy Week. And so all the regular uh, programming on the local TV channels like Ben-Hur or Ten Commandments or uh, The Passion of the Christ is over and it's all back to regular programming. And, uh, you know, but I believe that we don't really have to, as I said earlier, when you talk about Resurrection you know, this is something us Christians should be mastering. And this is not just something that happened back in history that we are commemorating. Yeah, that sometime in the past, about 2,000 years ago, there's this man. His name is Jesus Christ. He lived a life that is righteous. He died a death that paid the penalty for my sins. And then he rose again from the dead after three days. And I hope that it's more than academic for us. I hope that when you talk about the resurrection power of Jesus, that it is alive in our hearts, amen, that even as we live right now in the 21st century, what day is it today, April 5, that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is actually living inside of us, amen. Come on, how many of you know that that, that power is real? Tell the person beside you, toto This is real. It's a resurrection power that we can actually celebrate Every single day, you know. Last week, uh, we also had, you know, you know. For those of you who are here for the first time, we're actually going through uh, OPM. That's why our title is Biaing Semana Santa," and this is, uh, you know, in English, it is a Holy Week tour or Holy Week voyage journey. That as Filipinos, there are original Pinoy mindsets that we have. Um, some of them started out good, but somehow uh, it became a, a trap for many of us. You know, we've seen the video earlier of missionaries that we've sent out from the Philippines. Uh, in fact, for this particular year, we're going to be sending out, I think, about 95 mission trip to about 45 different nations. And many of those nations are restricted nations. Uh, basically, what it means is that the, the preaching of the gospel is restricted. You can't just readily meet like this in a mall, in a public place, and raise your hand and shout hallelujah and sing loud music and say Jesus is Lord. How many of you know that you can get into trouble in some of those countries? Some of those are hostile nations. Some of those are restricted nations. You know, they, in fact, 
one of the nations that we're going to be going to this coming May, me together with Pastor Nixon of Malat and Pastor Paolo of the Fort, is in China, in Guangzhou. I want you to pray for us. We're going to be doing a leadership conference there for all our Chinese pastors from excuse me, every nation. And um, when I heard uh, the news, Pastor Jackie, who's the leader of that particular region, emailed us and said that, you know, maybe... You know, we need to reconsider because we're now meeting in Taiwan because there's now a crackdown of the church again afresh by the Chinese government. And so one of the pastors and some of the leaders are now being monitored and almost like hunted down to stop whatever work of the gospel they're doing. And so they're meeting in Taiwan to strategize and decide whether to push through with a conference or not in May. And basically last uh, Saturday, they made a decision, we are pushing through with the conference in May. But that is the situation in China. It's restricted, it's hostile. But in the Philippines, how many of you are thankful to the Lord that we have freedom here to worship the Lord our God? Amen. And that is something that we actually celebrate. You know, the, the freedom to worship. The freedom to read the Word of God, the freedom to share the Gospel. You can go to Starbucks or Coffee Bean or Dunkin' Donuts or wherever you are and share the Word and nobody's going to stop you from sharing the Gospel. It's a joy for me seeing people doing one-to-one, you know, in the restaurants and in, in, in coffee places. It's just a joy for me to share, you know, to see people sharing their faith to others. But yet at the same time, on the other hand, the same freedom can actually be a trap to our people, kind of like this. It started out right, you know, some of the traditions and some of the culture that have been started out, and yet the people are not even understanding what this particular tradition brings to them. One particular thing that we have as a culture is the belief that on Good Friday, particularly at 3 p.m., God is dead. How many of you grew up with that uh, mindset, you know, that you cannot take a bath on a Friday, Good Friday? <laughs> How many of you actually did that this, last Friday, okay? Maybe, that, you know, maybe the, the whole notion is that we've got to sacrifice so that, you know, it's, it's, you know, since God is there, we cannot take a bath, you know? Maybe a form of a sacrifice. I'm not really sure who's sacrificing, whether you're the one sacrificing for not taking a bath or the person beside you is the one sacrificing because he or she could not stand your smell. So, you know, these are some of the things. Or another belief is that we can't travel on Good Friday because you might get into an accident. You know, I had a great time last Friday just driving through the streets of Alabang and in Commerce Avenue, I said, praise God. It's a carless day today. You know, the whole street was mine. You know, I can actually just, I, I didn't do this, but I can actually do swerving without even thinking about bumping any car or bumping any, anybody. But, you know, somehow people are afraid to go out on a Friday and drive or travel because of the belief that there's no protection there. That somehow the concept is God is on leave. On that day, you know, you're on your own, you know, if you get sick or if you get uh, cut, you know, somehow you're on your own, bahalaka, you know, you know, it's on your own, at your own risk. So, you know, the, the whole notion of us is that you have to stay at home, stay indoors, never make noise, no laughing, no shouting, don't play any games, 
No playing cranium or Jenga or Monopoly, whatever, okay? Because you've got to be sad. Why is that? Because God is dead. And you can actually start rejoicing once Easter Sunday comes back on. You know, you know many times these practices or this culture is really all about blind faith. You know, many people, you know, like myself, I grew up not really a devotee to Christ, to my Catholic faith, but I am, yeah, you were practicing some, but I'm more of like a nominal Christian. But there are some who are really deep into this practice. Either way, both are just, you know, doing something that is not really meaningful. You know, you just end up following the crowd, and, you know, since people are doing it, maybe it's the right thing to do, since my Lolo and my Lola and my Tito and my Tita and my neighbors are doing it, so might as well just do it because everybody's doing it, and so let's do it all, you know? In fact, there's a, you know, there's somebody who said, you know, when you talk about sin, a person, when a person sins, you call it sin. But when a, a whole nation sin, you call it culture. It becomes acceptable by society. You know, when you do something that is so unique to a particular group of people, then it becomes culture. It becomes a mindset. It becomes a tradition. You know, that is devoid of meaning. Can you imagine if you want to go to Baguio? I haven't been to Baguio in the past, I don't know, maybe five, six years. And I want to go to Baguio. What if you want to go to Baguio? And if you want to go to Baguio, you take your car and you see a huge crowd or a big, you know, Group of cars just going one way said, oh, I want to go to Baguio. So might as well just follow them. You know, maybe I'll end up in Baguio. How many of you know that that is a you know, crazy thing to do? Because you might end up in Bicol <laughs> if you follow the car. If you follow the crowd, it doesn't mean that you are doing the right thing. Sometimes the crowd is fickle-minded. Do you know that? Sometimes the crowd does not know even what they want. You follow them once, the next day it's a different opinion. You see the crowd that followed Jesus when he was entering Jerusalem one day on a Palm Sunday. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. They were throwing palm branches. They were exalting him. They were throwing their cloaks on the road. They were shouting, Woohoo! Our king is here! And yet on Good Friday, just a few days after, what are they shouting? Crucify him! Crucify him! The king of kings or the king of the Jews, the crowd is fickle-minded. Don't follow the crowd. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, don't follow the crowd. Okay? We've got to follow the word. What does the word of God say about our traditions? You know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the, it's the word of God is, that is the one that directs our steps. The Bible says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord that determines his steps. Amen. So we need to go back to the word. What does the word of God say about the way we do tradition? What does the word of God say about the way we practice in our faith, in our belief? Does it, does it find not only things back in the past, but what does history tell us? And how is that connected to our belief and our faith and our walk with God? And so we're going to unpack this, particularly this thing called the, the resurrection. It's a very familiar word for us. Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. You know, the four Gospels end with the story of the resurrection. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will find the story of the resurrection. 
You find the, you know, the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, it always points and validates. It's a proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The epistles, okay, the epistles were the letters by Paul and Peter and the others. These particular letters are all validated by the fact that the resurrection happened. And if the resurrection did not happen, there's nothing to write about. The resurrection is so important. In fact, if you go to the book of the Revelation, it still speaks about the reigning, ruling, risen king that we call Jesus. That one day, he's going to come back to reign and rule over us. The risen king, because Jesus is no longer dead. Amen. He is alive forevermore. Praise God. Can we all stand up right now? We're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 22. Do you mind if we all read it out loud? Let's all read this out loud. Okay, ready? One, two, three. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, let's go to verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for... The fact that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life and we celebrate that. He died a death we should have died. He lived a life we should have lived. And Lord, he was buried on, thir- on the third day. He was raised from the dead. And for this, we are forever grateful for the fact that our faith is hinged in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, teach your people even tonight how it, what it means, Lord God, to celebrate and to have this resurrection power in effect in our lives. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right. So when, um, when the Apostle Peter was writing this uh, letter, he was actually addressing this to a group of scattered Christians. So when Peter was writing this particular letter, he was actually writing to Christians who were persecuted. You know, people who were suffering in their faith for, for the Lord. And how many of you have had a, an experience of trouble and trials and challenges in your life? Can you please raise your hand? Anybody here? Am I the only one? Okay, okay. All of us, right? Look, look around you. Continue raising your hand. Look around you. How many of you had troubles in your life? It's a common thing, right? All of us, everything, all of us have gone through some troubles, right? The question is, how did, you have your tro- how did you have your trouble? Is it because of a wrong decision? Is it because of righteousness? Is it because of, you know, sin? Is it because of a consequence of a wrong choice that you have made? You know, because troubles are a normal part of life. As long as we're alive, there's going to be trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's why you need to be encouraged if you're going through some difficulty or your trials or challenges because of righteousness sake, 
because you have you are in the same plane or boat just as Jesus had. In fact, the very purpose or the theme of the letter of Peter was this. He was just encouraging them so that they will actually look out from their situation and look out there and be encouraged and put their hope in God. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For to this, what is the this part? It is referring to the suffering or to suffer. You have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example. If Jesus, who is our teacher, our master, left an example for us, how many of you know that if we go through suffering because of righteousness' sake, it's our blessing? Now, I'm not here to tell you to wake up tomorrow morning and ask and pray, Lord, give it to me now. You know, I'm not going to ask you to, to pray for suffering or trouble or challenge, but in case they do come because of righteousness. Like, for example, in your office, if you're persecuted because of your faith in the Lord and your practice of in- integrity, and your boss suddenly s- sees you as a threat to him and suddenly gives you a hard time, how many of you know that that is a suffering? And he opts to not promote you. And eventually maybe take you out. How many of you know that sometimes it is unfair? But yet in the eyes of God, it is a blessing for us. This is exactly some of the things that the people in the first century are experiencing, and this is even light for us. We have not come to the point of death. Some of these people have, been, have died for their faith. Some have been, have been sawed into two. Can you imagine getting the double anointing? You become two. You know, so that you might follow in his steps. In fact, the verse before this, verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if this should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then we've read that particular text in verse 18. Just to give us a short recap or a review last week, you know, Pastor John, how many of you appreciate the word of Pastor John? You know, he is just so eloquent in the way he presented the gospel. And I really appreciate our our in-house Bible teacher. And he's going to be, you know, uh, preaching more often uh, in the next few weeks. But he eloquently basically uh, presented that the ultimate sacrifice that is acceptable is Jesus Christ. No amount of our doing good can accept, you know, can, 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 uh, you know, can be accepted by God. No amount of us doing good or being good can actually draw us near to God. But in this particular case, Jesus is the only acceptable and the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But yet you see, when you talk about our Savior King, it would be meaningless if it weren't the risen King. Jesus, yes, He died on that cross. He was the Lamb of God. He was slain for our sins. He was the Savior of mankind when He sacrificed His life for us. How many of you know that when He said, it is finished, it is paid for, that is already enough? To pay for our sins. But yet that particular story will be incomplete if he is not risen king. This is the difference between our religion and the other religions of the world. 
The other religions, their founder may have, you know, set the example of goodness for them. They probably set the example of, you know, this is how you should walk. Maybe wrote, you know, nice words that will teach their followers how to live life. Maybe even died for them. But the difference that we have in Christianity is our founder and the one who, you know, who led us is not only one who lived a perfect life. He died on the, on the cross for our sins, but yet on the third day, he rose again from the dead and is alive forevermore. Amen. That is the main difference. No other religion can actually make that claim. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. I mean, you can't see that in... Buddhism or Hinduism or in, in the Muslim religion or in Confucianism. That's why it's so confusing, right? You can't see that. But when you talk about Christianity, we are not just following a good man. We're not just following a good teacher. We are following the Son of God, the one who is perfect in all His ways, the one who is righteous. And yet on the third day, Yes, he's given, us, he's given us his life on the third day rose again from the dead. Thus we see the empty cross, the empty clothes, the empty grave. You can never find the body of Jesus there anymore. It's empty because he is alive forevermore. Amen. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is what? Futile. And you are still... In your sins, if Christ had not been raised, our faith is meaningless. If Christ has not been raised, this thing that we're doing in church, this is useless. I'll tell you all, you go home, enjoy a nice TV dinner, enjoy the latest uh, you know, series or whatever, because if Christ had not been raised, whatever is it we're doing right now is useless. But the fact that Christ has been crucified, buried, and on the third day he was raised again from the dead, that is something that we're celebrating regularly. Amen. Not only once a year, but every single day of our lives. Amen. Christianity rises and falls on the fact that Jesus Christ was risen from the grave. That is the difference. Not only did we have a good you know, a good master who gave his life for us and who died. You know, some people, a good man would die for his friend. I hope you would. Would you do that? Mauna ka na. But Jesus died that while we, yet, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. We were not even his friends. We were enemies of the cross. But yet Jesus cho- chose to die on the cross for us. On that cross, Jesus made a declaration. It is finished. That is the declaration of the cross. The declaration of the cross is, Bayad na po. The declaration of the cross is, Tetelestai. The debt is paid, not in installment, but the debt is paid in full. But what does the resurrection tell us? In the resurrection of Jesus, God is saying it is accepted. That you and I are no longer aliens of the covenant, but you and I are now part of the covenant of God. It is an acceptable sacrifice. It is accepted. It is fulfilled. Whatever Jesus Christ did on the cross, it is acceptable by our Father. Accepted by our Father. To just give us a story, maybe an illustration. You know, how many of you are familiar with SNR? 
How many of you are members of SNR? You know, you can't really buy an SNR unless you're a member, right? You gotta have a membership card and you have to pay a certain something. But yet, when you go there, they're, suppo- they're supposed to give you discounts. Like if you buy in bulk, you get big discounts of certain products. And so, let's just say that you are in SNR. And preparing for Holy Week, you got two big carts. And as you're going from one aisle to the next, you are just so inspired. And you got all the things that you need. And the total bill for this particular grocery amounted to 30,000 pesos. Ibang klase kumain, ano? But on your way out of the checkout counter, you actually passed by the TV uh, display and you saw this nice 55-inch LED screen, flat, flat screen display, and you said, I'm gonna, I want that. I'm going to buy that as well. So 30,000 grocery plus a 35,000 LED flat screen TV that you put on your cart and you paid already. So it's done. 65,000, one receipt. So you've got a receipt. But on your way out, you saw the pizza place. And he said, you know, this shopping is just so tiring. Might as well eat for a while. And so you ordered the largest pizza, the 18-inch pizza. You ordered calzone. You ordered hamburger. You ate with your whole family. And so as you were eating, you were just having fun, and you are just talking about whatever, okay, your, your trip. And so when you were packing and throwing all the waste, guess what? You lost your receipt. And how many of you know that if you don't have a receipt in SNR, you cannot go out? You got to find the receipt, right? What would you do in order for you to bring out that 30,000 worth of grocery and 35,000 worth of LED TV? You would actually go into every trash can in SNR to try to find that receipt. Only after you bring out that receipt and show it to the one checking out, can they say, okay, clear, you may now go. The resurrection is kind of like that. The resurrection is our receipt that says, clear, you are now accepted. Whatever it is that you have done in the past, that has been paid for. Because of the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now accepted in the beloved, no longer foreign to the covenant of God. Amen? That is good news for us. Come on, give the Lord praise. Just very quickly, three points about the resurrection. Christ's resurrection gives us salvation. We've been talking about that. You know, I can never stop talking about the fact that you and I are saved. Now, you and I are going. How many of you are, are always grateful for the fact that you and I are going to heaven? That we're saved. We're saved not only from the fires of hell, but we are saved from the power of sin. That is what salvation is all about. Just to give us a quick review, the scholars would actually call this you know, salvation as penal substitutionary atonement. Three big words. Everybody say penal a substitutionary atonement. One, two, three. Now let's break it down. One word at a time. What does penal mean? This is where we get the word penalty. This is when you've done a crime, you've got to serve the penalty for the crime that is due under the law. The Bible says in verse 18, we've read that earlier, Christ suffered once for sins. Whose sin? Our sins. Not his sin, our sins. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Since we committed the crime, somebody's got to pay for the crime. 
How many of you know that whoever commits the crime should pay for the crime? But Jesus was the one who suffered and once and for all sacrificed for our sin. Everybody say, once and for all. Once and for all. It means finality. It means there's no longer a need for added sacrifice because one sacrifice is enough. One death on the cross, one, you know, one, uh, one particular blow, you know, as he was dying on that cross 2,000 years ago, that particular sacrifice is enough. It cannot be repeated. It should not be repeated. Once is enough. This one sacrifice covers our past, present, and future sins. How many of you know that is a powerful sacrifice? Amen. Praise God. God paid for our sins in the past. If you sin today, that is covered. If tomorrow, accidentally, not deliberately, accidentally you sin again, that is covered. God covered even the sins that you will commit 10 years from now. God knows exactly that you will offend the people around you and maybe not forgive them for a while, and that is a sin before the Lord, sin of unforgiveness. That's covered. This particular sacrifice of the Lord was done once and for all and once for all. It means that it's one time and it's available for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Only to those who call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, it's done once. It's avail- available to everybody, but not, you know, like for example, if you go down in McDonald's, it's available for everyone, right? But it will only benefit those who actually enter McDonald's and get their wallet and pay for that. That is a crude story or illustration, just to, to illustrate this. But when you talk, talk about grace, you don't even pay for it. It's grace. It's a free gift. You know, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is the second word, substitutionary. Everybody say substitutionary. It's kind of like, you know, substituting someone from, you know, a game of basketball or something. You know, it's an unfair exchange. The righteous for the unrighteous. How can that be fair? The illustration is maybe, you know, if someone offers you to sell his house, how many of you would like to have a house like that? It's kind of nice, right? And this house is yours for this payment. Your trash from McDonald's this breakfast. That's enough. I give you my house, and what you'll be paying for me is, to pay, pay to me is this, the trash that you had this morning from McDonald's. How many of you think that is an unfair deal? Maybe fair for us, but unfair. For the seller. Guess what? The gospel exchange is exponentially more than what this particular illustration is all about. That is what you got in the gospel. In fact, when you talk about substitutionary, it's also having a vicarious experience. On May 3, the whole Philippines would cheer for our Pamban Sangkamao. And we'll pray, give us this day. And we're going to have a vicarious experience. You know, we're going to pray for Manny. We're going to, you know, it seems like, you know, the vicarious experience is, it's as if you are the one in the ring. That's what vicarious experience is all about. 
as he fights with Floyd Mayweather, you know, the vicarious experiences, as he punches Floyd here, it's as if that you are the one punching Floyd here. And then as he does the uppercut, it's as if that you're the one who did the uppercut. You know, kind of like, wow, come on, you know. It's as if that you're the one doing the punches. That's the vicarious experience. And if Manny wins, we win. Of course, except the prize money. <laughs> he only gets the $100 million. So if, if Manny wins, we win with him. That's the vicarious experience. What if Manny loses? No, never. In Jesus' name, he will not lose. Okay. <laughs> Let's forget about that analogy, okay? He will not lose, okay? He will win. He will win. But that is vicarious. What Jesus Christ did on the cross was he died a death. We should have died. It should have been you and me there. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Consider this. Jesus, Christ's righteousness, that is a perfect record. Nobody like him. He is the only sinless man who walked this planet. Nobody like him. Perfect record. You know, as a nation, we're always celebrating his death. You know, we're always capitalizing on the death of Christ. And that's so important, but yet we need to focus that part of the gospel is not just the death of Jesus, but the life that he lived. He lived on earth for 33 years, and yet many times you only celebrate the last week of Jesus. What about the first 32 years or 32.95 years? What about that? He lived a perfect record. When, we, when he came out to be baptized by John the Baptist, you know, God the Father basically declared from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. A sign of pleasure from the Father because of a perfect record. It's kind of like you going to high school. You're always late. You always miss class. You don't do your assignment. When it's test, you always fail. And at the end of your you know, high school, can you imagine, you have a GPA of 55? I mean, what can you show your parents? And yet, what will happen if the valedictorian at that school was always present, who's always an A student, who always gets a perfect score, came to you and said, I'll give you my grade for this year because I can always do it next year. <laughs> Not as if it will happen. But how many of you know that is a perfect record? That will erase your 55. It will be 100. That's even a crude illustration for what Christ did for us. Christ's righteousness now becomes our righteousness on the cross. Amen? Praise God. When the heavenly... Come on, give the Lord praise. When God the Father sees us, He doesn't see your righteousness as filthy rags. He sees the righteousness of Christ, the robes of righteousness that Christ puts on you because of the cross and because of the resurrection power. Amen? That is what righteousness is all about. When you talk about atonement, the last word, 1 Peter 3.18, that he might bring us to God. Basically, this is talking about reconciliation. Atonement can also be said at one meant, to be one with him. We used to be enemies of, enemies of the cross, but now we are one with God. We've been reconciled. You know, I don't want 
to have any argument or disagreement with my wife. I won't be able to sleep if I know that my wife, you know, has an offense with me. And always work out, you know, something so that we will actually be reconciled immediately. And how many of you have experienced that? You know, someone who loves you, hates you for a while. And yet, in this particular story, God was the one who was offended by our sins. We were enemies before the Lord. And the fact that Jesus Christ did, uh, died on the cross and he was raised from the dead, he became the mediator between us and God, and we were reconciled back to God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Basically, on that cross, the vantage point of the Lord is kind of like this. He was hanging on that cross. He was looking at the people, looking at him. He was looking at the soldiers. This is probably the time that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what I'm doing. In fact, that particular scenario or perspective ought to be us. We ought to be the ones on that cross. But yes, Jesus took my place and he died on my place for, my, uh, for me instead. Christ's resurrection gives power. Everybody say power. First Peter chapter 3 says, Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The picture of baptism in this particular case is uh, you know, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, but also that one like a, you know, the, the, it's the story of Noah. Let me just read this first in Romans chapter 6. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the what? In the newness of life. That is what the resurrection power of God brings us. There is a newness of of life that is breathed into us. In verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under what? Under grace. In fact, the picture of baptism, if I may just do quickly, in verse 20 of the same text that we've read, it says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, and he used the illustration of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. You know, there are, when, when my kids were younger, I would read to them the story of Noah and the ark. You know, it's such a cute story if you have a children's illustrated book. You know, you have a story of Noah and, you know, you see these animals coming to the ark, pair, two by two, and you see the eight people are there going into the ark with smiling faces, and then the ark closed. That is a sanitized version of Noah's ark. But the real Noah's Ark was the time when, in Genesis chapter 6, God poured out his wrath on mankind. His wrath was poured out because of man's sin. And the Ark basically was the only thing left. The people who were inside the Ark, including the animals, were the only ones that were saved. And that is the picture of baptism for us. You know, while the wrath of God is being poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? We are in the ark. We were the ones being saved. 
It is not the actual baptism that saves us. It is the fact that God, because of His love for us, sent all His wrath toward His Son, Jesus. But then on the third day, He rose again from the dead. That is, that's why the next time you see baptism, remember the ark. That is the picture. The wrath of God was poured into Christ so that you and I could be saved. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce. Everybody say to renounce. In the NIV, it says to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many of you know that you can actually say no to sin right now? It is now possible. Tell the person beside you, it is possible. It is possible to say no to sin. We used to say yes to sin all the time. We sin because we're sinners. That's our nature. But now that we are born again, bought by God, have a new nature, God changed us out. In, in First Peter it says, He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is where we get the expression night and day. There's a total, there's a big difference. You won't be able to distinguish the difference because, you know, there has to be a change, a newness of life. If you are indeed a believer of the Lord, and if the resurrection power is real in our life, guess what? People will not recognize you anymore. You will never be the same. Tell the person beside you, magbago ka. Yan, okay? You are not the same anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is a very familiar verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. You are a new person. You are a new creature. You're no longer the same old you as before. God transformed us from the inside out. That's the power of the resurrection of Christ that is being done in our body, that is being done in our spirit. Amen. We have now a new power. I've got the power. We've got the new power to say no to sin and yes to God. Come on now. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, at one time, everybody say one time, you were darkness. Tell the person beside you. You were darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. You know, I love light. That's why I actually asked for the light here. I love, I don't want to live in darkness anymore. You know, in darkness, you know, kind of like this particular situation, one side is dark, one side is light. Where do you want to go? Of course, you can't really hide. <laughs> Depends on the day and the night. But the illustration is no one wants to be in the dark. You know, if there's no electricity, how many of you would like to, you know, have, okay lang, I'll use a candle. I mean, how long can you live with that? But Jesus, the very first thing that God created in Genesis chapter 1 was what? Light. Let there be light. And we are children of the light. Walk as children of the light to prove the fact that you are a you know, living uh, proof of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I end... And we're going to shift gears. Christ's resurrection gives us what? It gives us hope. You know, we don't just live for this life here on earth. Yes, maybe you are going through some problems right now. But how many of you know that in every problem, God has provided a solution for us? God provides hope. You know, in our culture, we only live for the here and the now. 
Sometimes we have this particular, you know, hashtag YOLO. You only live once. So do what you want. You know, you eat, you drink, be merry for tomorrow you die. YOLO. Or we have our own bucket list. You know, these are the things that we want to do before we kick the bucket. Before we actually die, you know, we've got, you know, I've got to do some bungee jumping, or I've got to do this, or I've got to do that, I've got to marry my crush, or whatever, you know. Because we only see this life as the only life. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, we are... Our faith is going to be useless if we only live for this life. How many of you know that this is not the only life that we have? Because there is a better life after this. Amen. You know, how how long can we live? Maybe 70, 80 years old. Maybe if you're strong, maybe 100 plus. But what is 100 compared to eternity? Amen. It's nothing. Eternity that is actually full of the life of God. You know, I visited a friend the other night who's sick of cancer. He's a member of our church. And he fought the battle of cancer. He battled cancer about a year and a half ago. And he actually won. He did chemotherapy. He, he did radiation. He was declared cancer-free. He had a remission of cancer. After a few months, actually about a year, he felt something that's painful in his lungs. And he, I think he excreted blood. And so when he had to go through some tests, what happened was they found out that the cancer came back. It basically metastasized. It started with his nose, but now it's no longer here. It metastasized in his lungs, in his liver, and in his bones. And the doctor said this might be painful. But yet the reaction of this particular man, who is a Christian, is so different. Because of his belief in the resurrection. He actually told me, you know what, Pastor? I'm ready. I'm ready for this. This is not ideal. I don't like this sickness. But this is God's will for me right now. To go through life with this at the very last uh, stage of my life. My household is ready. I have, you know, I have... Made my, you know, my, my, my everything is actually fixed. My college, the college of my students, um, the college of my students is already, you know, the only thing that I'm going to be missing will be my family here on earth. And in fact, he is what he says, I still believe for a miracle. But I'm not going to go anymore through chemotherapy. What he's saying is, I believe that God will have a miracle for me and I believe with him. How many of you know that either way, it's a miracle. If God heals him from cancer, it's a miracle. But if God takes him out and gives him another life, that is another miracle of God. Amen. Because that is the resurrection miracle of Christ. Our hope is not just in here. How can a man say at a dying bed, and what they're doing right now is just pain management. I am ready. How can a man say that? How can I say this when I was losing my son 10 years ago? And I told my son on his dying bed, it's not goodbye, my boy. It's going to be see you later. Because of the belief of the resurrection. It's something that we have that the world does not understand. That our life is not hinged on the temporary, but it's something that is hinged on the eternal perspective. Amen? 
And let's just finish this. We're going to have communion in a while. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. We are so enamored and attracted with kings and monarchy. We don't have a monarchy here in the Philippines. We have a presidential system. But somehow we like watching kings. We like watching the prince getting married. We like watching Frozen with Prince or whatever. Okay? We're, we're so attracted. We have our own version of the king, right? And so... <laughs> Somehow, you know, these are some of the things that we celebrate. We're so attracted to that. Or maybe if you're a basketball fan, you have King James, you know. But yet, this is somehow implanted in our hearts. You know, this particular attraction to a king, because in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is coming back as a king. Not only as one who was resurrected in the flesh and has a resurrected body, but he is coming as a risen king. In Revelation 19, then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called what? Faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes wars. He is not only king, he comes back as a judge. And guess what? If you're a believer, you're no longer going to be judged. The judgment that was due us was paid in full at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the judgment that will be given at the great white throne judgment will be for the unbelievers, those who did not believe. in the. It will be too late for them to repent. But yet he will come as a judge. And Jesus will do away with all the sin and all its effect. My last verse is this. Revelation 21 says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, as a father, there are times my girls are hurt, and they would run to me, and I would be personally be the one wiping the tears from their eyes. But a day is coming that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes due to our disappointments, due to our failures, due to our sins, due to our weaknesses. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who has seated on the throne has said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is really something that we can look forward to in eternity. Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in the Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.